0: Welcome to the sensibility podcast. Today I have Tash Jensens, who is woman with sense. And you may have heard her on Small Change Podcast with Nova. She's also been published in quite a few different um, uh, articles and whatnot. Best to find her on the Instagram post, Women's With Sense, or her website, because there's some amazing articles there. She's fantastic with her content. And I love the message that she has. So she's really all about empowering women and encouraging us to take our control of our finances, which is obviously what I'm all about as well. So quick intro, Tash and I met when we were doing our money coaching course together. And um, I sort of been secretly following her and watching what she's been doing with her career and just going, wow, this girl's amazing. So I'm so excited to have you on board today. Thank you so much, Tash, for being here. My pleasure. Thanks so much, Amy, for the invitation. Now, I just want to jump straight into it. Um, How, because I know a bit about your history. So how did you get to be at this point in your life where you're doing this money coaching and sort of flying with Women With sense?
1: Yeah, look, it's been quite a journey as most sort of young people, and I think even now as adults, we spend a long time still sort of finding our way and figuring out what to do. Um, But my journey in Australia started when I was 18, when I fled a war zone and landed in Canberra with, you know, a suitcase and the clothes on my back. So I fell into an accounting career and which sort of led me on to consulting. And after about 10 or so years, I found my health sort of starting to fail me. And that, you know, I wasn't even 30 at the time. And I thought, okay, this is quite young to be starting to be having a whole range of health issues. So life sort of forced me to take a bit of a time out and figure out, the path that I was on. And I think it was very much a wake-up call because it was like I fell into a particular career, but it wasn't the right fit for me. So that sort of brought about a bit of a aha moment as to, well, wh- what am I about and what do I want to be doing rather than sort of working a nine-to-five just to sort of pay the bills. So I found that I really, you know, I had a passion for strategy and analysis. I loved numbers, but I also love people and psychology and all that sort of stuff. So it took me a while to sort of find my feet, but I found in the end that finance and behavioral economics and everything that I do today sort of brought about all those elements from all those different sort of career paths that I love and sort of brought it into one particular field. So yeah, it was an evolution, but a bit of a case of sliding doors along the way as well. And here I am today it is such an evolution
0: sorry um i mean I, I speak a lot about the money coaching aspect on this on sensibility and i'm doing a four part series with a colleague Cara, who you know as well who did our training together but um the 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 beautiful thing i think with uh, the money coaching the mindset stuff and it's a user that brought up the behavioral uh, aspect of decision making and um why, you know, what motivates us and in our t- internal workings and I guess sort of really what gets us to where we are, our current moment when it comes to our money. It sort of really taps into um, the financial planning and you were also a financial planner, so you've sort of gone from that and, and what I've seen in your posts and what you speak about is sort of really marrying those two concepts together and encouraging people to, one, to be practical, take action, when it comes to the finances, but also the, the real importance about getting your head, head right and getting, you know, your goals in, in place and whatnot. So that's really the, the money coaching part of it. So I, there's so many things that I wanted to talk about. One thing, one of the things that you um, spoke about in a recent article is self-care, the self-care routine and, what, and ensuring that money is part of that self-care. Can you talk to me about what that all is about?
1: Yeah, so self-care, I mean, gosh, it's become such a buzzword of late, but I see so many people talking about, you know, the importance of self-care. We often focus it sort of on the physical aspects. But what we forget about is how money affects us physically, emotionally, and and psychologically. So if we look at the research that says that even in Australia, money is the leading cause of stress, you know, that's a huge, huge thing, Mm -hmm. especially for such a wealthy country such as us. So to me then it's about not forgetting that aspect and going, you know, money permeates into every aspect of your life.
0: I have always spoken about making sure money is on the wellness wheel for the very same thing. So go on. You were saying it, it, is, it permeates in so many areas of our lives.
1: That's right. So it permeates through everything. It affects our physical and mental health and well-being. It affects our relationships. So it's amazing that we sort of disregarded and we sort of run on autopilot and we sort of forget about money. So to me, that importance of financial self-care, making sure that we take time out and make sure that we have a more conscious relationship with money. You know, I mentioned that with my career I fell into autopilot mode. You know, I was driven by for me my decisions were driven driven about what immigration requirements were, what was the easiest way to get residency in Australia. So I fell into a career that way. And then autopilot of life you know paying the bills and doing everything that you should be doing for many other people we fall into different things for different reasons it might be what our parents expected us to do or what our you know uni friends were doing so we went along with it and we just sort of fall into a particular life now when that life is not aligned with what our values are and what our passions are that's when we can start to experience financial stress so for me I found I was in a career where I was living what I once thought would be my dream life. You know, I was working as a consultant. I was traveling around Australia. I was making more money than ever before. But looking back on it later, I found, you know, I actually had more debt than ever before. And it's like, well, what's all that about? It's because what I was doing wasn't aligned with my passion. My passion was about helping people and making a difference in their lives. And I was there consulting for government departments and writing reports that would sort of gather dust on a shelf. The two just weren't aligned for me. Mm-hmm. So I was then taking that out on my bank account by trying to find fulfillment in other need, in, in other ways. So if we take a moment for that financial self-care, it means that we are taking your time out to reflect on, okay, what am I doing now? Is it actually, am I doing it because it brings me joy and it's something I'm passionate about? Or am I doing it for other reasons, whether that's for making other people happy or not disappointing someone or just because I fell into it and I feel like I I have no other choice. From then, then we can start to look at what are the goals that we're setting and what is the best way to make money work for us. What surprised me when I started, when I moved from accounting to financial planning was the number of clients who would come to me for advice but not really knowing what they wanted. And I'm sure you've come across the same thing. You you go and you ask them, we all as financial planners, the first thing that we ask, what are your short, medium, or long-term goals? No idea. Or some people might have something very specific, like I want to pay down a mortgage or I want to live in this particular area. But a lot of it I found was driven by shoulds. You know, it wasn't, well, it's because it's what I want, it's what I think I should do, or it's what I think, I think it's the only thing possible for me, you know, based on my income, I think that's all that I can achieve. So I will have goals based on that. None of those things are aligned with our why and our values. And I often talk to clients about, Maslow's hierarchy of needs you may have heard of it for anyone who studied sort of management um, at school we often spoke about Maslow so Maslow was very passionate about researching what motivates human beings now he was looking at it from the point of view of how do we maximize the workforce how do we motivate them to make the most productive but I found that it actually translates also into the way we manage our money. So, and it's particularly noticeable to me in wealthy countries such as Australia, because what he found was that we are, first of all, motivated by our essential needs. You know, we all need food, shelter, safety, and security. That's a given. We need relationships and human contact and people around us. Okay. So, what happens when you live in a place like Australia where you don't have to, you're not fleeing a war zone like I was, you know, you're not worried about, you know, how you're going to put food on the table the next day, and you have your family and friends around you, and you have a career path. You've now ticked three of those boxes on that pyramid. What comes next? And that's where I think most Australians then fall into because the next part for us is about fulfillment. And when we lack fulfillment, well, marketing experts have <laughs> done their job brilliantly because they taught us that fulfillment comes in things. Mm-hmm. Fulfillment comes in the nice car, in the nice house, in the you know Instagram-worthy family mm-hmm. holiday, that that is fulfillment. So people go and spend their money on that and they find that that rush is short-lived. So then they go on to the next level and to the next level. Mm-hmm. So to me, again, then the financial well-being and financial self-care is about recognizing that and going, okay, Let me get really curious about the decisions that I'm making. If I'm really eager about this car or this house or the traveling, what is that about? In what way does that align with the values that are important to me? Because for some people, it's feeding their curiosity, their sense of adventure. But for many others, it's about either keeping up or it's about escaping you know, what we don't want right now, whether it's escaping a relationship, whether it's escaping a job, it's about, okay, I want to escape that. So if we can take the time out to recognize that and have that reflection, well, now you can start to create some real magic because you can make some simple little tweaks that means Mm -hmm. that you are now on a path that's perfectly aligned with you. Because when you live a life where you're fulfilled, where you light up every day, well, you know what? You don't need a holiday to give you that fulfillment. You don't need a nice car to give you the fulfillment. It's coming from within and you're radiating it out onto everyone else. So it just has that amazing cascade effect. hundred percent. Well, those
0: things are what, you know, people can use the term filling the void because there is something empty inside of us because we aren't aligned. We're not living that life that you know we're designed to live that that will make our hearts sing our souls sing so to speak so we are going to fill that space up trying to fix it with stuff with avoidance with distractions with overspending gambling um you know holidays of properties and all sorts of things even even in the world where we live it's sort of in terms of um finance with investing and everything there's still people that are building little mini empires but they you know they're just that's not good enough that's not good enough just constantly chasing chasing that's exhausting so it yes really does come down as you point out to you know creating as a self-care kind of package for yourself and go money is an important part it's an energetic exchange with you know parts of our lives whether it's buying something or it's actually our work or you know looking after our clients it's it's not about filling a void and whatnot, but when we've got alignment, we're on, you know there is fulfillment and there is such a, a complete difference of mindset and peace that you can have when you're on that right path. So it's incredible when you do that and have that shift, how that can actually change, It'd be a life changer, a game changer. It makes so much. It makes things much easier too when it comes to investing and making financial decisions. Because you're not buying into the noise of, I need to be buying investment property or I need to be buying in Sydney or I need to be doing this or I need to be doing that because that's
1: building, sometimes building someone else's lifestyle, not the one that works for you. Exactly right. And it comes from that lack of clarity. And why do we lack clarity? Because we lack the financial self-care. And all financial self-care is making sure that you're regularly taking time out of your day to look after yourself and in this case it's looking after yourself from a financial perspective and making sure that, you know, you're looking after your money and you're the one directing where your money is going rather than getting, you know, stuck on that hamster wheel where it's like we're just responding to what's coming our way and usually it's bills, 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 bills.
0: Yeah, I was just reading, uh, listening to a um, woman speak on this very same topic. We we get stuck in just reacting and living in the moment and as you said we're in a sort of the subconscious space often and just existing as opposed to really being consciously aware of who we are and where we're heading and and aligning that and and sometimes it does mean to be aware of our subconscious behaviors and sometimes tweak them some of the limiting beliefs and we really go now I'm moving into the money coaching stuff but you know this is sort of part of the part of the chat but we do need to make be aware of that so that we can be in alignment. Now, that's sort of, I guess, a bit of a segue. And some of the questions I was going to ask, I think are just going to go out the window because this is such a great topic and (laughs) that's how we roll. So I want to ask, how do you, with clients, delve in and get some of that information out of them to get them more in tune and aligned, tapped into who they really should be, or who they not should be, who they are, but sort of recognise that they're not living their true purpose?
1: Yeah, it's, it's a bit of a journey. It takes a little bit of time. For some people, less so than others. And part of it, because for a lot of us, we were conditioned to suppress what we feel and not to look inward. So if we think about it, you know, the concept of money, we were always taught is taboo. You don't go talking about it. But our emotions as well is sort of taboo. We don't open up about how we feel. So for many people, I found it's, first of all, the stepping stone is building that awareness of checking in with yourself and going, how am I feeling today? Am I feeling, you know, we often, we start off with, well, I'm okay. or I'm fine. It's like, okay, well, what does that mean? Let's use some other words to describe how it is that I'm feeling and then getting curious as to what that's all about. So starting to reflect on that, starting to look at, okay, uh, one of the questions that I love to ask is, you know, if if it weren't for money, you know, if you had all the power in the world, you know, what are three things that you would change about your life right now? And it's usually very quick for us to come up with a go, well, I'd have more time to do this or I wouldn't be doing this or I wouldn't be doing this job. It's like, Fantastic, yeah. (laughs) Now we can go and do something about it, but then it's very quick. You mentioned limiting beliefs, it's very quick for us then to jump in and go, Oh, but I can't do that because I have kids, or because I have this, or because I lack the ability, or I lack the time, or whatever. And now we're starting to get into, as you and I talk about archetypes, we start to get into a bit of a victim archetype that sort of says, Well, it's all out of my hands and I can't do it, and this is as good as it gets. Mm -hmm. So, the first step as we often say, is to recognize that there is not a problem, but something that you would like to tweak, something that you would like to change, something that if there's an element where you're starting to feel a bit stuck day-to-day, to recognize that that's happening, to get curious about what that's ultimately about, and then we start to sort of look at, okay, well, what are the things that are important to you? So, for example, I found that for myself, my top three values are about making a difference are about variety and about being challenged. So for me, that's sort of where, you know, even now with the career that I've got, there's so much variety in what I do every day and I'm constantly being challenged, and I'm doing something that makes an impact, and that feeds even into my hobbies. You know, I love to make um, beautiful cakes, you know, and I challenge myself with going for a trickier and trickier design each time, but it's also, again, about making an impact, you know, making someone's day, making someone feel special and all of that. So once you take the time to uncover what those values are, and that can take time to get to, but that's sort of where I often talk about the magic, that's where the magician lies, you know, when you figure out, okay, well, if this is what's important to me, now I can use that to decide even on the smallest decisions, you know, is this something that I want to do? Okay. Well, is this aligned with what what I'm all about? You know, is it going to make a challenge? Is it going to make an impact? You know, is it going to give me that little bit of sense of variety and adventure in my day? Then yes, I'll go and do that. But on the flip side, it's like, well, if I spend money on this, Is it maybe going to take me away from something that I would rather be doing? You know, maybe I really want to go and do a particular course that will advance my career, but I feel that I don't have the money because I'm spending the money day to day on seemingly, you know, insignificant amounts, which actually add up to a lot. So that's where that self-care and self-awareness comes in to go, well, what if I directed those smaller amounts that are draining the account that don't actually bring me joy? And, hey, maybe if I wait a few weeks or a few months, that will add up to an amount that will enable me to go and take that next step. But if we lack that awareness and, we, and if we don't have that check-in, then how can we ever go and bridge the two? A hundred percent.
0: Oh, God, you're preaching to the choir here, but I totally get you. So I was writing a, a, before when we were off a, a line. I was having a bit of a whinge about how terrible I am with my posting. But I was writing up a, a sort of posting on that very topic of, and you've sort of gone into deeper, much, much deeper, but just if you want to be successful with a financial goal, for example, you really need to understand what, and align your values and your goal, your, your, um, your wise to be able to actually get there. So your values will then align with your goals and you will know you'll, you'll have a clear idea about that and you'll have more chance of achieving that that goal versus if you're sort of not checking in, as you say, Um, and not sort of aware of that then you know it's it's kind of like you know taking a stab at the dark and going yeah I want to achieve this um, but you really aren't able to because you're not you know it's it's like basically going through a forest without a bit of a path the path is that alignment it's pretty amazing when you actually get your head around that and go all right now I understand that these are true goals because they're in line with my values and I really do understand what what's going to bring me joy, it's going to be so much easier to achieve those things. So speaking of, there was another thing that you brought up in there um, was challenges and time. And we're both mums, we're both in COVID, we're both, um, well, I'm in complete lockdown, have been here for eight weeks. So one of the things you've also written about is um, progressing in your careers, especially working part-time, and you really are a massive advocate for women pay gap and all sorts of things so and you've written lots of and spoken about that lots of articles and talks but you have some tips on progressing in your career working part-time and being here in lockdown I'm running a full-time business in part-time hours because well we're in lockdown and we've got you know I've got my son homeschooling and I've got a toddler who's now today she's in daycare but she can't go to her parent my parents on those other days so it can be a challenge. So I would love you to shed light on how to overcome some of those challenges, especially working part-time in a sort of career-driven situation.
1: Yeah. Well, look, I think the first one is to do what we discussed earlier, which is to acknowledge your emotions about it and to recognise that for a lot of us the instinct will be there to, well, first of all, we get overwhelmed because there's a lot that's going on. And our default quite often then will be that the victim archetype will come up and we'll say, this is not fair, this is too hard, how come I'm the one that has to do all of this? (laughs) And we just go. Now, doing that will do a few things. Drains our energy because the energy that could be spent on being focused on the things we need to do is being spent on that internal story of how unfair life is. It's also very disempowering because it feels like there's nothing within our control, and it can just then leave us stuck and more stressed out and, and the spiral continues. So I think, first of all, acknowledge the emotion. It needs an outlet. You know, Denying yourself what you feel is just going to let it build up longer. So it needs to be acknowledged and it needs an outlet, and that can be either journaling, screaming into a pillow, <laughs> whatever it is for you, just get it out. Then we go, okay, now we need to shift into have a bit of a shift in perspective so first of all you know that you are the fact that you've come this far and for example in your case amy you have a business for other women you know we're mums we're working we're all of that we're incredibly amazing we're strong we're resilient we're resourceful remembering that part of yourself and going okay i'm not a victim i'm not a little kid that has no control over this okay this sucks but you know what it's here me complaining about it isn't going to shift anything so what can i do that's within my control Okay, number one, realistic expectations of myself. Going, You know what, I can't be in two places at once, especially if you've got younger kids. You can't be working and schooling them at the same time. It's not going to work. So what are things within my control that I can do? Number one, who do I have that I can reach out to for support? Is there someone that can zoom in with the kids to keep them occupied? Is there an adult in the house that I can reach out to to say, hey, we need to do this together, you know, so can you help me out? For example, my husband is at the moment outside playing basketball with the kids so that you can, you and I can have an uninterrupted podcast. The alternative could have been I could have cancelled the podcast or I could have, could have been pulling my hair out and yelling at the kids for being kids, right? Yes. So we go, exactly, so I'm not going to be a victim. I'm going to reach out and go, you know, think of yourself as the leader that you are and go, who can I reach out to for support? And the other thing is to then manage other people's expectations. So whether that's your clients, yourself, your employer, the best thing that you can do is to speak up early and go, look, I'm working within these limitations. You know, I need support. I either need an extension on the deadlines. I need to adjust the hours that I'm working, but there's, there's going to always be something there that you can do to make life easier. For yourself and for everyone. So, whereas, as they say, what you resist persists. The longer you keep beating your head against that wall, trying to do the impossible, eventually it'll all just sort of come to a bit of a climax and um, may play out not in the most elegant and ideal way. So, <laughs> the sooner we can do that, the
0: better. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Now, speaking of, I mean, we're women at the moment being very challenged uh, with working from home, homeschooling during this. Uh, COVID lockdown, Um, we're also seeing the issue of still a massive pay gap. Now, I know you've been very vocal about this and pay gap does have ramifications, as you and I both know, being financial advisors as well, um, meaning that women will retire with far less than men. So there's there's, there's other things that we women need to be doing and be proactive about outside of pushing through that glass ceiling so to speak so I'd love to have a, ch- a brief chat about that and some of the things or tips um, or you know ideas that you have on how we can sort of bridge that gap between men and women in the workforce first and foremost I mean it's a whole new pod- another podcast we were trying to say all the other things about what we can be doing from an investment point of view and to retire better and all that but let's just focus on how we can really as women bridge this gap and men who are listening as well, because I know that we're we're here, we're in it together. Um, men and women, we've got to work as a team because as if in most workplaces, there is usually men and women that are, and like my husband and I, business partners, that are working together to in to for the same goal. So it's about, you know, communicating and, and encouraging as well. What are your thoughts on this topic? I know it's a pretty open, open question here.
1: That's right. Well, look, there's a few things there. So first of all, one of the challenges with career progression, you know, we talk about all the stats that say that there's not enough women, especially at senior and executive level positions, is because again, those roles are demanding and they're not often open to part-time work. So this is where we have to be assertive and and lead the way in the change. So whether that's negotiating a job share, I've seen that work really well um, at executive levels, or talking with your partner, for example, about how you're sharing the parental load. You know, I often talk about, for many families, that sweet spot of affordability of childcare comes to about three days a week of childcare. And often what ends up happening is that one parent works three days, usually the mum, and the other parent works full-time. Now, it can be really hard to progress your career on three days a week. So what ends up happening is that we either take a step back from what we were doing or we don't go for that promotion or whatever the case might be. Now, the alternative is, well, what if both parents each work four days a week? Now, on four days a week, you can pretty much without too much effort work those full-time hours if that's what you need to do. It's a lot easier to not be at work one day a week than for two days a week, And but for the kids... It's still daycare of three days a week and they're getting more quality time with both parents rather than one and it's setting a new example for the next generation, which is one of the reasons why change has been so slow to progress is we're creatures of habits, monkey see, monkey do. It's not enough to talk about gender equality. Unless the kids see both parents staying at home and sharing that load, they will continue to replicate that behaviour. So I think from that point of view doing that, that as well, there's – Challenges there for men because there's stigma around men working part-time and scaling back to four days a week and being, you know, the stay-at-home dad and that kind of thing. So, again, if you're working together as a couple, the more men that do that, it's going to normalize it in the workplace to say, well, hey, you know what, I'm a father as well. You know, I'm not just someone who happened to sire a child and, you know… Now I'm back to <laughs> as it was. You know, I always found it fascinating that people would ask me, how am I juggling a career and kids? I don't hear my husband being asked that question. No, you never Perfectly. hear that question. And That's it's right. something you'd never ask a guy either. Exactly. Hey, how are you doing it? You've got a great
0: job. How are you juggling your family, your wife and children? You never hear that question. No, Whereas because the definitely answer. definitely expected from a woman. How do you do it? I mean, I do. I'm guilty of asking that because I know how hard it is. I'm always going, how are you going, especially
1: going, how are you doing this? Where do you get the time? Because the answer is implied for men. I don't have to juggle. I have my career and someone else is filling in the gaps. So if we start to see more men working part-time, I'm certain we'll start to see that question being asked more then to sort of go, how are you guys making it all work? This is fantastic. So sharing the parental loan, which spoke about the super gap, Sharing the super. So many couples, they'll share the take-home pay. No one's talking about sharing the super. So, And I know we can split super and do all sorts of things down the track as part of retirement. But this is part of the challenge when we speak in an industry that is male-dominated, that it was only looked at from one perspective. So, for example, the fact that you could split your super between spouses was traditionally used as you would know, in cases where there's a significant age gap between the couple. So we will use super splitting to direct the money towards the the person who's going to retire first as a way of accessing the money super. But what about super splitting when you're young and in your 20s and your 30s and one parent is staying at home? Because guess what? If the relationship doesn't work out, it's going to be so much easier down the track not having to argue about super because, hey, you've already shared that super now it's such a brilliant
0: idea Tash I love this because I mean first of all a lot of people dismiss the concept of contributing to super after with after tax dollars which I kind of think is insane because it just means that there's more room for your super to grow inside that super environment because it doesn't have to pay that 15% tax. Secondly you're right when it comes to divorce and I do I do mediation work on divorce so I've and I've also been divorced. So but in terms of what happens at that point where people are divorcing, then there's a conversation about how much time, she, you know, usually the woman's taken or all, all the time, and, you know, they've taken off if they've spent 10 years raising kids before they've gone back to the workforce. And, and then there's a calculation, there's forensic accounting that goes involved, gets involved. The costs add up. And it eats into both of your retirement savings. so you're right if you guys if, if you've got a you know you're a couple and you're young and you know one's working part-time to to sort of contribute to the household differently, it's still work and that's also what domestic work often gets dismissed as not work but um, you know, when you're raising a, a, you're raising kids, you're investing in them. That's actually they're going to be into our future. You know, they're going to be our leaders. So that's actually very important work and should be recognised. So I totally love this concept and I'm going to run with this, just so you know. I'm going to write on this. It's great. And, and also when you're in your 20s, I mean, I love doing a forecast of clients that are in their 20s because you can see how much money they're going to have and accumulate in their lifetime. And they're going to be like, you can go, you're going to be multimillionaires if you keep going the way you're going, you know, because it compounds, right? The sooner you start, the better. But if you're contributing your savings to super, not just co-contributing, you know, not contributing uh, spouse contributions, but actually just even making it simple and putting non-concessional contributions into to super equally, then wow, what an outcome that would have.
1: It makes a huge difference I it's a modeling a while back. So look, my recollection of the numbers will be a little bit rubbery, but my point still stands. I think we looked at a young woman starting off with a career in her mid-20s of a salary of about fifty to $60,000 and what would happen if she didn't have any major career jumps, right, and just, you know, CPI through her career. What would happen if she took her 30s off for maternity leave? which easily happens if you're having more than oh, one child, yeah. you'll be off work for quite a bit. 10 years off, if she took from 30 to 40, that was about a $400,000 loss to her super balance by the, end of, by the time she reached retirement age. That's, That's a massive number. It's insane and it can be prevented.
0: So it's this insane. is a fantastic tip. I'm so glad I asked this question. It's a brilliant uh, way of bridging that gap at retirement. I mean, it doesn't fix the problem of, you know, well, you've actually even given some brilliant nuggets on how we can actually fix some of the issues around working part-time and, and managing, looking at, you know, domestic care for your kids and whatnot, sharing that role, and I think that will normalise businesses. Now, businesses are going to change. We're already seeing that. We're all working from home. I actually started working from home in 2019. I think around the time we met, you know, if you recall, my brother passed away and then I gave up my office in March of 2019 and then found out I was pregnant by April, right? So I decided, well, I'm not going back to city. And the fact is that I prepared my clients for Zoom meetings and then COVID happened and I was feeling a bit ahead of the game because everyone was going, oh, now we're doing Zoom or we're doing team, we're doing this. Most businesses are continuing to work this way. So by this change, it shouldn't be too difficult for implementing that suggestion you've had where, okay, we're both at home, we both work from home, we've got the kids, let's do this in shifts, let's share it, let's share it up. I mean, then that question of how are you juggling it all to usually the woman doesn't need to be asked anymore and there should be no stigma.
1: No, that's right. And the thing is, as you said, businesses will change, but as we've saw, they'll change only when they have to, right? Because again, human nature—we don't like change and we'll take the easy path. So Zoom's been around for ages, and large companies have often spoken about flexible working and all that kind of thing. But it wasn't until they had no other choice that people that they started to do that and become okay with it. So the same thing comes when it comes to us imposing change as a society it will have to be driven by us. We have to push for it. You have to be willing to call their bluff and go, you know what? Well, mate, if you're not going to let me work four days a week to support my wife and her career, I'm leaving, right? It is at that point that they'll go, well, hang on a second. Let's let let's see what we can do. And we'll go. So be prepared that initially the answer may be no, and there may be resistance to that change but we have to be willing to fight for it. And the same thing goes about progressing your career working part-time. So I mentioned um, in my late 20s, I was quite sick. So I had to scale back my hours. And that was my first taste of the stigma around working part-time and the way there was a bit of a us versus them between full-time employees and part-time employees. And I went up for a promotion and I remember my male performance manager saying to me, well, I don't know how I can advocate for you because you work three days a week. So how's it fair to the people who work full time? And I went, well, hang on a second here. We're talking about a managerial position, right? So that is not based on the hours that I'm working. It is, hang on, is the quality of my work at the standard that it should be? Yes. Do I know how to give direction and manage people? Yes. Have I met deadlines and exceeded expectations? Yes. That is the criteria. So I had to go in and shift his perspective and lobby for myself. And guess what? I got the promotion. So the challenge that we have as women is that, first of all, if we talk about the psychology of money, Amy, you would be well aware of this expression that we have been, one of the reasons we don't talk about money is we have been taught that our net worth equates our self-worth. So as women, partially we have started to value ourselves as society values us, which is reflected in our paycheck. So already there, we tend to second-guess ourselves a bit, and research has found if you're looking at going for a promotion or a new job, men will sort of, they'll tick, some of the boxes, most of the boxes, and they'll give it a go. Whereas for women, it's like, oh, but I don't tick that one box, so maybe I won't. It's advertised as a full-time role, but I'm a part-time person, so I won't even try. And what I'm saying is ignore that. Close enough is good enough. Go for that. Know your worth. Research what you are worth at the level that you're playing at, not the position that you're in, and go and advocate for, self, for yourself. Now, I said about change in work hours and styles. the same thing goes with Um, your pay rise and your career, again, businesses aren't going to... It's bad business just to give money away, right? The old school way, will say as well, you know, new modern um, leadership coaching will say to you, you know, if you value people and you reward them adequately, you know, that will pay dividends. But the old school way is they look at it the same as, you know, looking at a product supplier. You're not going to contact someone and say, you know what, I think your product is too cheap. I would like to pay more for that particular item. That's just bad business, right? So you have to... You have to be prepared to go and lobby for yourself and negotiate a higher pay rate and go, you know what, I've been here for this long and and go in armed with facts. It doesn't help you to go in there emotionally and say I'm always there for everyone and I do this and no facts. Okay. These other businesses pay at this level. I'm in a job that's, you know, designated as this status. But if you actually look at what I do, I'm actually of this particular role jot it down, have the facts, go in and lobby and be prepared to walk away. That's the success to every negotiation is you have to be prepared to walk away from the entire deal. Usually it's at that point that you'll sort of tend to win them over. I've been through this a few times, which is why I'm so passionate about it. I love negotiating, but in my experience, that's how it starts. They'll call you bluff, but you have to be willing to present them with the facts and be willing to walk away. And that is how we start to create that gender pay equality where women are being valued just as much as their male counterparts. But unfortunately, it's my belief that if you want change to happen, it'll have to be driven by you. I 100% agree with you. I think the
0: other thing that we've, um, it, I've seen is that women don't, Besides the fact that money's often been a taboo conversation, and um, it's been not normalised for so for many generations, um, and as you've put it, you know, society has sort of where our worth is in society is where sort of where our, our finances have been. It's been very, it's been very challenging. So there has been sort of like these invisible ceilings for us, um, but and we've really got to punch through them. But we've never really been taught to have these conversations. You've just really spelt it out. And it can be incredibly confronting to have those kind of conversations, but I guess it comes back down. Let's full circle this conversation earlier in this podcast. We talked about what's our, you know, what's our why. And I had a very similar experience when I was at a bank many years ago. I was working part time. I was in Sydney, but I was serving clients over in Perth. So I would start work about three or four in the afternoon and work nights. So I had three little boys at home. Actually, no, I think I only had two. I, I may have been because I, I was at the bank when I was having my children, so I never really got did the maternity leave thing. I was always sort of one of those people that worked. But I did the same thing. I was really frustrated and I had the fire in my belly. I had a clear why, because I knew that I was earning equivalent to my husband at the time. Um, If I kicked these KPIs and I was in that sort of level of pay, right, so I remember there was sort of a a promotion and I had to push and challenge them about the fact that I, although I'm only doing this in four hours, I'm meeting KPIs that some people aren't full-time. I'm still doing, I'm doing X amount of, you know, as it was business in terms of insurance business and whatnot, than some of the other advisors over there. I was doing all of these things and I had to really spell it out, but I had that fire in my belly. I had, I was kind of that alignment there because we had three mouths to feed and a roof to keep over our heads, and we were young and weren't, you know, I wasn't earning the money that I I wanted to be earning. So that's really what put the fire in my belly to fight for it. I think when you've got a challenge like that, you really do need to come back to your why's and your values as well, so that that fight is so worth having. Knowing Absolutely. your worth is so important. Knowing that you're worth it, you you value yourself, and that it's not okay not to be paid. The same as my peers, or get that promotion because I deserve it, you know?
1: Well, that's what you're saying. And those values, what it translates to is motivation because everything that you want to achieve, okay, there's two obstacles that you have. One is the fear of the unknown, the what if, what if I fail? What if this? What if this? What if this? How are you going to overcome that? You need a really strong driver to go, okay, I'm willing to risk that and go for what I want. So we need strong motivation and the other one is we're preachers of habit again you need motivation you know it's the same thing as shifting our diet and our lifestyle if you're wanting to lose weight because you should and because it's the right thing to do and the healthy thing to do none of us ever succeed with it with yo-yo diet but if it was about you know I want to look amazing on my wedding day guess what suddenly it's easy for me I had health issues and risks during my pregnancy where I had to give up all of the things that I loved we're talking gluten and chocolate and coffee and all the great things and prior to that for years my doctor was like you know you really should do that but I just didn't have the motivation like I felt fine there was no you know I didn't see the difference or the need there was no motivation when it was if you want to have a successful pregnancy you have to do that guess what Motivation was not a problem. I was willing to give all of that up. I changed my habits. I did what I needed to do. So, again, as you were saying, the importance of having your values and knowing your why, that's where your motivation comes because you need that to be able to go and fight for what you want.
0: Absolutely. There's some amazing topics. I mean, I could keep going and I wanted to talk to you um, about all sorts of things. I mean, we've talked a little, we've covered the importance of money, but I think there's so much behind how money can really be an incredible tool when we've got this alignment going on. Um, it's being part, being, including it in part of our self-care. And I guess as part of that, it's, it's valuing ourselves so we can break some massive boundaries, you know, in society, in our households for our finances. I mean, I think we've covered so much in this today. Thank you so much. Cause I could keep going. I wanted to talk to you about other things, but, Um, I think what we've done today is achieved quite a lot in such a small time frame. And hopefully those who have listened have gotten some motivation and gone, okay, I'm going to go and refine some of my goals. Um, Maybe go and fight for that and negotiate for that pay rise or for that promotion, Um, or maybe even change the way they they view their household or their superannuation. I love that one, by the way. That super thing. I mean, obviously, speaking like a true financial advisor, that just that really rocks my boat. Um, but there's so much that we've covered today, so thank you so much, Tash. So, if you want to follow Tash, I would be recommending you go to Instagram, Women with Sense. You've also got a website. You, as we mentioned in the beginning of the call, you're on Small Change, which is a
1: Nova podcast. Um, anywhere else we can find you, Tash? Oh, I think if you just pop my name into Google, you'll find a whole stack of articles and things where I've sort of contributed. But as you say, you know, the website or social media and women with sense, so sense being the pun on words, just as uh, what we're doing here with sense and sensibility. So um, C-E-N-T-S, women with sense, and that's where I'll be. Excellent. And before I go, I just quick disclaimer um, that
0: this is not to replace any Professional advice that you are getting, financial advice, advice from your accountant or any other, or even psychologist. Um, this is in line with that kind of advice. So this is general in in nature. Um, and if you are seeking anything, if you want to get uh, strategies around investing in super, whatever, do seek a financial advisor, a licensed financial advisor. Thank you so much for your time today, Tash. I really appreciate it.
1: My pleasure, Amy. I really
0: enjoyed our chat. Thank you for listening to the Sensibility Podcast today. The information discussed is general advice in nature and should not replace financial advice. It is important to seek financial advice from a licensed financial advisor. Amy Baker is authorised representative of Lifestyle Asset Management, Proprietary Limited. Recap Advice is the trading name of Recap Enterprises, the corporate authorised representative of Lifestyle Asset Management and the Australian Financial Service Licence, AFSL, 288421 for further information please visit recapadvice.com.au for our fsg